Hello, and welcome to the Abiding Together podcast in partnership with Ascension. Abiding Together is a place where you can find connection, rest, and encouragement on your journey with Jesus Christ. My name is Sister Miriam James, and every week I am joined by two of my dearest friends ever, Heather Kim and Michelle Benzinger. What you're going to find is we're three normal women who are on the journey, who laugh, we cry, we have all kinds of adventures, and our heart is to share our love of Christ with you, our friendship, and all the beautiful and broken places that we encounter. So you are most welcome to join us on this journey. Grab a cup of coffee, get settled in, and welcome home. Hello and welcome to this week's episode, part three of the Chronicles of Narnia, and we're excited to be on this journey with you. We're not really sure, people, just giving you like a spirit of full disclosure, what's going to happen <laughs> this podcast episode, because we're not feeling very well. It's very interesting. We've been chatting here, and we're all like a little under the weather, and so yeah, be forewarned. So Michelle, I'm going to start with you because I think you probably need to go to the doctor, girl. I'm a little concerned about your physical health. Are you going to make it through this next 30 minutes? I am hoping I'm going to make it through this next 30 minutes. We were trying to find a time to record and I, we were, I was like, can we put it off another day? And just because of schedules in life, we cannot. So I'm a little froggy. I am sick, but I am here for you people, you know, mm-hmm. through sickness or in health, oh. I'm committed to this podcast. So <laughs> I am here. Commitment at its finest, y'all. Commitment at its finest. <laughs> Poor wee soul. Aw. Oh, you yeah. So seriously. You know, so, but... Here we go. Let's Chronicles of Narnia. Heather, how are you this morning? Well, um, I'm not feeling sick, but I did only get three hours of sleep last night. So if I'm not speaking in totally coherent sentences, then I mean, I think the moms will relate out there. All the mamas with little babies who are waking up through the night. I I feel, uh, you know, communion with you. But Sister Miriam, you're drinking out of your big, huge Wonder Woman mug. So how are you this morning? Yes. And the thing is, is I don't actually have coffee. I made myself some hot, fresh ginger tea with apple cider vinegar, fresh ginger and honey. And I'm taking copious amounts of vitamin C because I don't usually ever get sick. And I woke up this morning feeling a little under the weather. So Aww. that's concerning y'all. So I'm going to beat it. I'm going to fight it. So like, cause I'm a warrior like Lucy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Way to tie it in. Oh, good girl. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's how we roll y'all. Okay. So here we go. Here we go. And the next installment is this part three of our series on the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And so we're going to talk about chapters nine through 12, which as all of the other chapters, a lot of beautiful things are happening. And so we've spoken a lot about Edmund, just kind of journeying with Edmund in a certain way of noticing where he's deceived and kind of where his own brokenness is matching what the White Witch is promising. And we just kind of want to start off with chapter nine in the Witch's House about how Edmund um, really the narrative that he's telling himself. And this is really important, I think, for us because we all have narratives. Like we have the true story that God sings over us, and then we have competing narratives of how we understand things and the narrative that the evil one, Satan, comes to speak to us. And I think it's so great what the what C.S. Lewis writes kind of in the heart and mind of Edmund because he says this, because Edmund leaves the dinner with Mr. Beaver, if you guys remember, and he says, um, Edmund had had eaten his share of the dinner, but he didn't really enjoy it because he was thinking all the time about Turkish delight. Mm. And there's nothing that spoils the taste of good and ordinary food half so much as the memory of bad magic food. And then he didn't enjoy the conversation because he kept on thinking that the others were taking no notice of him and trying to give him the cold shoulder. They weren't, but he imagined it. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know about you, but that is such a great 
description of what happens in our own narratives. And then we start rationalizing. We start, you know, oh, I deserve this. I, I, I want this. I deserve this. And we cut ourselves out of community, go to isolation, we go to the dark side. So mm-hmm. I'm going to let you two, Heather, if you want to talk a bit about that, but it's so good. I think it's such a great revelation of the human heart when we go down those paths of the false narrative. Yeah, absolutely. And we all have them. You know, we all have mm. uh, two stories that are simultaneously, you know, competing with one another for our attention. And when we play into the narrative that the enemy is speaking and make an agreement with it, it can it can cause a lot of destruction in our life. And sometimes we don't even know how slippery the slope is of the narratives that we believe. And I think with Edmund, we see his desire is to be seen. Mm-hmm. His desire is to be known and understood. Like he wants to be noticed. He wants to be, and those desires are good. You know, it's not, it's not a bad thing. That's in the heart of every human person to be known and seen and loved and cherished. And, um, but wh- where that goes is self-serving in mm-hmm. this narrative. And he's seeking after, you know, all the attention and being a king the wrong way. What were your thoughts, Michelle? I love the part where it says, um, he had left his coat behind in the beaver's house. And, and of course, there was no chance of going back to get it now. And like mm-hmm. in the previous chapters, you know, when they put on their coats, that symbolism for their true like royal identity. And he left that coat, like he left his true identity to go seek out, um, seek out a false identity, like a false narrative. And when he was talking about like when he was walking and he was like, oh, when I am king, I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to call Peter on and um, t- for, for um, make him pay for calling me a beast and all this kind of stuff. And it just reminded me of myself, like we know when we have that thought process where we start well, I can't believe this this happened or this person did this to mm-hmm. me. And then it like spirals, like you can oh, catch gosh. yourself and you're like, and then this, and then this, and then this. And it's like mm-hmm. the spiraling down words. And then like now as I've gotten older and grown, I'd be like, okay, stop. Like this is not a true narrative, you know? But mm-hmm. I think it's a really good thing. Every time I think we blame something, there's an element of shame in that. When we blame mm-hmm. other people, are we... Um, uh, think, okay, well, they did this, they did that, you know, instead of taking a step back and saying, okay, where am I responsible? And not that these people, sometimes it's very just that someone has done something to you and you need to look mm-hmm. at that. But I think we have to learn to take a step back and say, okay, what is the father saying about this situation? What is the mm-hmm. truth about this situation? And stop the spiraling thoughts mm-hmm. going, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you could go from zero to, well, I'm speaking to myself. I can go to zero to 60 in 5.2 seconds, you know, thinking mm-hmm. like my narrative spinning, but just stop that and saying, okay, what is the father saying about this situation? And what is truth? You know, what do mm-hmm. I know to be truth in this situation? And poor little wee Edmund, you know, it just, mm-hmm. I hate it for him. And, and so, he, he is taking his questions to the wrong person. Exactly. You know, like he's going to the queen to answer the question, yes. am I important? Do I have value? Mm-hmm. And am I seen? And I think we often do that as well. We take our deep questions about who we are, you know, am I enough? Uh, mm-hmm. am I, am I beautiful? Do I have value? We take them to the wrong people and inevitably we're going to be let down because no one can answer those questions Mm -hmm. like God the Father can. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think you see also his like departure and what he heard at the table was truth. He heard about Aslan from Mr. Beaver and he heard, even though the other kids didn't know Aslan that you heard the resonation of truth in the dinner and then out of his own, you know, turning inward, 
um, Edmund leaves and then he starts rationalizing. He starts telling himself that they're lying mm-hmm. and that the witch is really the one that's good and who is Aslan. And then they're saying that, he, that she turns people to stone and then he actually literally encounters the stone. Like you can see it's like he's trying to tell himself a story, but he knows it's not true, but he's already like in so deep mm-hmm. that he doesn't know what else to do. And so, you know, and then you could just hear him continually talk about the Turkish delight. It's just funny. Like it's just so us on so mm-hmm. many levels, but you mm-hmm. see his fear when he encounters the stone creatures, like the stone animals, like the fawn, and and then he takes out his his marker and he puts a mustache on Aslan, like oh, you know, it's, it's like the sometimes we do that with God, like oh, I'll get you, God, you know, I'll I'll make fun of you, or who's afraid of you? And inside his own heart is like a horrific fear, and you can tell, mm-hmm. but he's feels like he's in too deep to do anything about it, which I thought was really interesting uh, as he encounters her castle and also the stone creatures. Mm-hmm. And and it's a reflective also of his heart. Like the the mm-hmm. stone creatures are reflective of Edmund's heart. Mm. His heart is stone. His heart is hardened. You know to all of the good things that the other children are experiencing. The goodness of the beavers. The goodness of the meal. The goodness of the name of Aslan and mm-hmm. the potential of encountering him. His his heart is just like those stone creatures. And mm-hmm. I think often our hearts are too. Oh, where, where we are, we shield ourselves, whether it be out of protection or because we've been, we have made agreements with so many lies in our life that we shield ourselves to the truth, beauty, and goodness of who God is and how he is trying to reach us and bless us and love us in all the different ways that he does through creation, through other people, through circumstances and speaking to us in the depths of our being. Mm-hmm. And like sister said, I love that he took out the pencil and drew on it. Isn't that so us? Like, let, let me throw throw a um, temper tantrum. I'm going to show you guys. Let me tell you Mm -hmm. how this is going to go. You know, in our childish behavior, instead of being childlike, we become childish and be like, okay, well, I don't like this Lord. And you know, your ways are not that great sometimes. And this is what I think Mm -hmm. of you. So I'm going to color on your face, mister. You know, Mm -hmm. it is just such a childish response, Mm -hmm. but it is so oftentimes the position of our hearts. You know, and mm-hmm. so what does it look mm-hmm. like to have hearts of stone turn into hearts of flesh again? Like, what do we have yeah. to do for that to happen? You know, where do we mm-hmm. have to let truth come in? Um, that's what I was asking myself. Like, where are the parts of my heart that are stony? And where do we have to let truth come in? You know, um, so it can transform us and turn it back to hearts of flesh. Well, definitely. And I think you see that very beautifully in these chapters as Narnia begins to thaw out. Yes. <laughs> and spring comes and Father Christmas comes. And um, I mean, even you see like in this, what Edmund's seeing firsthand at the end of the chapter when he meets the witch, she's no longer kind to him. She is cruel. And she speaks to him in a terrible voice. And, you know, she she wants, she doesn't want him. She doesn't care about him. She just wants to destroy Aslan. That's her holy, you know, and so she wants to destroy him in the process. And so, you know, saying that... um saying that, you know, where, why did you come alone? You know, where are the others? And then he just totally rats out his whole family (laughs) and then, you know, tells them about Aslan and you can see her anger. And so it's just like this whole, I think we've all had those situations where we get in way over our head and we're not really sure what to do now. And I just, as I was listening, you know, I was listening to the audio version of this and just thinking of how, um, even for Edmund, as we know, this is just the beginning of the story. This is not the end of his story. And what really Aslan does for him, which is, you know, the profound reality of what Christ does for us. But it's just a beautiful thing of how even in the midst of our own winter and our own stone, that God is always at work. Mm-hmm. And he's always sending people to help. He's sending grace to help. And so his the son of his face and his son sent to save us never fails. I, I found myself wondering in this chapter, you know, as I was like reading Edmund's narrative of like, I'll get them and I'll show them and I, I want this and everything was about himself. He's so self-absorbed. I thought, 
poor Edmund. I wonder what happened to him when he Mm -hmm. was younger to get him to Mm -hmm. this place. You know, I mean, I know he's not a real person, but I was like, Mm -hmm. this is reflective of so many of our stories. We don't just all of a sudden, you know, start being mean and angry and self-centered. That's not, Mm -hmm. that's not how we are, we are made. You know, that's a twist of certain desires and things that were made for God that, whether we've been hurt or wounded. Like I just thought, gosh, what would have happened in Edmund's story before he arrived at the professor's house that would have made his heart like this, Uh, you know, which I think is a good question mm -hmm. for us. And it's also a way for us to have compassion for other people Mm -hmm. who we encounter as being rude and harsh and, you know, self-absorbed or whatever it might be that they have a story. And often that comes mm -hmm. from pain. It doesn't excuse their behavior, but it can at least help us to interact with them with some compassion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always tell my children when they have situations with other children and other things that hurting people hurt people, you know, so there has to be Mm -hmm. somewhere where they are hurt. Therefore, they're going to hurt other people. And I thought it was interesting, like the queen, you know, after Edmund tells her that Aslan basically is on the move and he's, she knows she's like, get the sleigh ready. And she decides that the sleigh doesn't need to have bells mm-hmm. or need to have sound. Mm-hmm. Then compare it to Father Christmas, where mm-hmm. Lucy and the others and the little beavers are resting. But then what wakes them up is the sound of bells, like the sound of mm-hmm. just, um, you know, the sound of almost like magic coming about. But it almost reminded me of like the sound of bells, like we have even in um, mass, you know, where we ring at the consecration, oh, yes. you know, and um, if anyone's done like catechesis of the good shepherd, um, they do a beautiful teaching on the bells and what that means in the Eucharistic um, liturgy, almost like it means Jesus oh, is so coming, great. you know, yes. it means mm-hmm. Jesus is near, he is coming. And uh, mm-hmm. I love that, just that images of like um, the no sound of the witch, which means it's secret, you know, it's hidden mm-hmm. and sneaky. sneaky. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then compare mm-hmm. it to Father Christmas where it is, something is coming, you know, anticipate mm-hmm. um, spring again, anticipate new life, anticipate whatever it is, magic that is coming about. So I thought that was an interesting comparison mm-hmm. between the two. Yeah, I think, and even how it describes like her sleigh and then his sleigh and his reindeer were bigger and the bells were different and he was so big, so big, so glad, so real. And she is, you know, Mm. and he's jolly and he has red cheeks and she's white. You know, she is stark. She has no Mm. life in her. She's, she's slim. She, you know, there, there's all these things that seem rather lifeless about her. And he is just so full of life and joy when he busts into the, into the story, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. Which is so great. You know, the kids are on a journey with Mr. Beaver and then they do come across the sled and it's, it's father Christmas and it's great. It's such a great, uh, description of him. He was a huge man in a bright red robe, bright as holly berries (laughs) with a hood that had fur inside it and a great white beard that fell like a foamy waterfall over his chest, (laughs) (laughs) which is so wonderful. And then, you know, what comes next is he gives them gifts and the gifts are very significant to each one of them, you know, and he says, here are your presents. They are tools, not toys. The time to use them is perhaps near at hand and bear them well. So they each get something, you know, um, Peter gets a shield and a sword, uh, Susan gets a bow and arrow, not unlike Katniss Everdeen, uh, and a little ivory horn, right? And Lucy is given the the cordial, uh, that the healing cordial. And so, um, Michelle, you were saying something very interesting because you talked about women in battle, and I thought that was very interesting as you researched it. Could you tell our listeners about that? I didn't know that, so I, I thought that was really neat. 
Yeah, Father Christmas tells Susan and Lucy that their weapons are only for defense. They are not supposed to fight in the upcoming battle. Lucy says she feels brave enough to fight, but Father Christmas says that battles are ugly when women fight. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what? Okay, you have to explain that to me. And so I went, I was, you know, I took that quote and I was doing some research and someone was talking about C.S. Lewis's views on women. Of course, you know, there's views like you have to think it was going during the World War and all that was going on. And so women like on the front line of battles, you know, but it was also like the more I was reading is um, C.S. Lewis's um, expansion on the idea of women grew as he met his mm-hmm. wife, Joy. Like he had very, you know, more what we like to call like patriarchal views of women, you know, um, and they grew like, and they said, you can tell like, um, what is the book? Until We Are Faces. You love that book, Sister Miriam, mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis. So you can mm-hmm. tell like his progression on mm-hmm. his ideas of women and his wife really opened him up to that. But and when I was reading about it, it was also um, comparing it to Tolkien's, you know, heroines in Lord of the Rings, where she is a battle and a warrior and, um, you know, like just comparing, contrasting, you know, the different women and how we fight. And I don't know what, you know, I'm still wrapping my mind around that whole thing. I don't know what exactly C.S. Lewis was thinking. I don't know what his thoughts, but mm-hmm. then it was interesting. And I don't have the answers to that quote. You know, I was just like really pondering and thinking about it. But then it was interesting. I was, because we live in a military community and we were talking and we were just talking about, um, battle and war. And I remember mm-hmm. one of the guys, you know, who's special forces said to me, he said, um, he goes, we were talking about women and war. He's like, I don't, he's like, I don't pretend to have to know the answers. He says, but there's something, even when it's just, if you kill someone, he's like, I would never want to see a woman do that because she is a life giver and it goes mm-hmm. against her nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, and I, I don't know what, like, I'm still pondering it. Like, I don't know yeah. what exactly, you know, that is, but I just thought it was interesting. Cause then I go to revelations you know, and it's a war between the woman and her child, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we would, we would protect like our offspring. We would protect, you know, mm-hmm. we fight for beauty, truth, and goodness, because usually we're fighting for someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, we always, women always put themselves, you know, in protection of others. So it was just really interesting, that whole line. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, of course me, I'll probably research it a little bit more to see, mm-hmm. but it just had me really pondering and thinking. Well, that is interesting, even in Revelation, because the war is waged upon the woman. Mm-hmm. She doesn't wage the war. No. And it is true, out of defense. She out of will, defense. Mama Bear will give her life. She'll yeah. give her very last, she'll give everything to protect and defend. That's very true, you know? So mm-hmm. very different than, say, different wars that women have waged. It's just very, yeah, that's a very interesting thing to think about. I'm sure our listeners are going to have a lot of... <laughs> yeah, and I don't have the correct answer. Like, I'm really just wrestling and thinking about it. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts, Heather? Yeah, it could it could be that, uh, you know, he lived at a time where war was happening and he was probably very aware of the gruesomeness of war, which is a reality that many of us will never, ever understand or comprehend because it's not a part of the world, the small world that we live in, you know, in our cities or whatever. Um, but also like to, to put that up against womanhood, which, you know, we have sensitivity, our nurturing, our, the things that are innately in the heart of women. I mean, there's something about that, the stark contrast that maybe he couldn't, he couldn't bear to see it. You know, he couldn't bear to imagine mm-hmm. women in the gruesomeness of battle. I mean, who knows? It could be coming from a very reverent place, but I know for me, like I'm learning that my battling in the kingdom looks less like me wielding a sword made out of my own uh, armor and things like that. And, and it's a posture of like standing with my arms wide open 
that this is how I fight my battles, completely mm. surrendered to God, oh, dang, letting him fight the battle through me. You know, so the battles don't have to look gruesome. It looks like surrender. Oh, girl. Mm. Amen. I know we're all just like, let's just ponder that one. I've been pondering that one for quite some time. We should like to hear you on this matter another time (laughs) again. I'm trying to learn that way. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. So meanwhile, back at the ranch, uh, Edmund Edmund is in the witch's castle, and he's still asking for Turkish delight, which she... um. Yeah, so she ends up kind of, you know, putting him as a prisoner, and he instead of getting Turkish delight, he gets dry bread, a hunk of dry bread, and so it's the jokes on him, really, in a sense of like he surrendered everything right to the witch, and instead of getting what he thought he wanted and all the things that she promised, he he receives literally a loaf of dry bread. And I know Heather, you were talking about that. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that particular, even though it's just the particular image of the loaf of dry bread. I mean, it's interesting because right before that, Father Christmas, you know, there's this interaction with him giving the children tea mm-hmm. and like this warm tea, and they've been cold, and he warms them up and blesses them with like breakfast and warm tea. And then you have Edmund who has wandered away and there he is just like eating the worst. He's in the Mm. cold. Mm. He's eating this dry bread and how so often this is the enemy. Exactly. The, The promises are empty. He's thinking, he's still holding out hope that, oh, she's acting different. Mm, She's not quite as nice. I'm still going to muster up the courage to ask her if Mm -hmm. I can have some Turkish delight. Mm. And, um, and here, here it comes the promises were empty and he just gets this dry bread. And I'm like, so often in my life, I have found myself just eating dry bread, you know, where I thought it was going to satisfy and it's tasteless. Like the sin is just tasteless and empty and unfulfilling. And in fact, it's even worse because of what you know you could have. Mm what you know you should have deep down in your heart. And and I love it because right after that, it says that Edmund finally comes to his senses. Mm-hmm. He finally came to his senses and realized that the witch was lying to him. And he's on her sleigh and he's cold and he's wet mm-hmm. right through to the skin. I mean, the imagery is just like, oh, like how many times have I found myself in that place in life where I just feel like, I I thought I was looking for comfort. You know, I thought I was going to find fulfillment or something for my desire. And and here I am feeling like I'm out in the cold and, and there is no comfort there with sin. There really isn't just the emptiness of it all. And then he says, you know, it didn't look now as if the witch intended to make him a king. All the things she Mm -hmm. said to make him believe she was good and kind and that her side was really the right side now sounded silly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But isn't that all of us where the father has this beautiful banquet table for us, Mm -hmm. you know, with food, you know, that satisfies like these eternal loggings and we settle for the crumbs on the floor, you know, and where he has this beautifully like extravagant banquet table and we will just take the crumbs off the floor Mm -hmm. and, um, and the crumbs off the floor that don't satisfy, that don't fill us to fullness, Mm -hmm. that don't bring us eternal things. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it's a powerful image, Mm -hmm. powerful, powerful image. And those moments where we come to our senses, you know, those are moments of repentance where there's opportunity for us to, to change our ways. And that's exactly what begins to happen is that as Edmund comes to his, his senses, then we have this description of the snow starts to melt. Mm -hmm. The grass starts to be seen like spring is coming. There is change coming. There is the opportunity for new life to spring forth and, you know, I pondered that a lot. I was like, there's been 
many times, especially a couple of years ago, that was my prayer. I was like, God, please thaw, thaw mm-hmm. my heart, like make it soft again, open, open to life again, receptive to what you want to do like you do mm-hmm. in the springtime. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts, sister? No, that's very true. And I, yeah, I, I, I resonates deeply with what you're saying to me. And I was just thinking of the thaw of winter and um, just as the children in the last chapter that we're talking about here encounter Aslan face to face and see the one they've been hearing about and how they are ennobled by him. And, you know, it says their things are great and terrible at the same time as in they're trembling. They're in the presence mm-hmm. of tr- profound greatness and how Peter is um, encouraged to take his place, right? To take mm-hmm. his place as, as a, as a King, as a warrior and uh, just how Aslan approaches them. And I was just thinking of, uh, I, I'm sure I've shared this before in, in one of our podcasts over the last few seasons, but a couple of years ago I was somewhere and I was telling my story and just, um, uh, as I told the story, I realized that I was only telling, and I knew it as I said it, I was like, this is interesting, but I didn't really realize it until somebody actually called it out on me. And they said, you know, I realized that when you tell your story, all you're telling, um, are the sorrowful mysteries. And they said, you know, you've been doing so much work on your story and that's been the focus and that's really important. But she said, I just want to remind you that there's more to your story than mm. that. And I think it's very easy to remember, to think that there's only winter in the story, but there's not. There's always a spring somewhere. There's always a, a fall. Mm-hmm. There's always a mm-hmm. summer. And so I think like Edmund, Edmund is the, in the winter of his own soul. And it's very easy to just focus on the winter. But the truth is, is that nothing is all, it's not all or nothing. That God is always sowing seeds. He's always bringing new things to birth. And so I just think as the kids, you know, experience the thaw and the witch's power lessons and, and Aslan comes back and, and the kids are ennobled and transformed by that. And, you know, later, you know, we're going to see Edmund restored and reconciled that that's, that's the constant, that's a Paschal mystery of Christ in our life that he's Mm -hmm. always working in those areas. Amen. And I think that that is how we, how we can look at our own life and interpret our life and go, am I really following Jesus? Because there should be this continual cycle of the Paschal mystery that's occurring in our life Mm -hmm. that sometimes we're dying, uh, but that dying always leads to a rising. And when we follow Jesus, that's where we're going. And I've said this before too, that often as Catholics, we can get into this mentality where we're just carrying our cross and we're carrying it around in circles and in circles, Mm -hmm. just talking about how heavy it is and how hard it is, instead of taking that cross and walking up the hill and dying on it Mm -hmm. so that we can experience new life. We'd rather just walk around with it than actually die, you know? Uh, And and then we never experience the glory of the resurrection in our life. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that those are, those are situations where we should have many, many testimonies in our life. It's not just one moment where God breaks through. God should be breaking through consistently throughout our life if we're following him, because that's what he does. He wants to bring every area of darkness and death to new life again. Mm. but it does involve suffering Mm. for sure. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Michelle, closing thoughts before we move on to our one thing here. No, I think all that is great. (laughs) I'm trying to, um, not keel over. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Poor thing. Bless your heart. (laughs) You've hung in there. I'm I'm proud of you. 26 minutes in, you go girl. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm dragging my cross and hoping for a resurrection really soon. (laughs) How about this afternoon? Because we're all traveling together this weekend. So I'm like, okay, Lord, I've got to get better before the weekend. So as Aslan, hurry up and come and bring me some springtime, mister. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what I'm hoping. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, gosh, we are out of time. There's so much more we could say about this. And so just look forward to the discussion this week of, you know, kind of what stirs in your heart as you hear just the different sharings and as you read the text yourself. And so, um, so yeah, let's go. I'm going to actually let you, Michelle, share your one thing before you do keel over and we don't get it out of you. So do you want to, <laughs> you want to talk about your one thing for the week before we lose you and you're in unconscious? <laughs> 
My one thing for a week is uh, actually a movie, which is funny. You know, I'm sick when I sit down to watch a movie. Yeah, you were like texting us yesterday. Did you guys see this? Did you guys see this? Did you guys see this? We're like, no, dude. (laughs) And I was like, can you tell I'm in bed because I'm sick watching videos, like, uh, which I never am. But we, my husband and I watched Mm. the movie Gifted. And I'll put the link in it. And it's PG-13, but it is, so there's a little language, like one inappropriate scene, but not scandalous, but inappropriate. But it is an amazing story about this little girl that is gifted and her mother has passed away and she's Mm -hmm. raised by her uncle. And just the child actress that plays it, the uncle that plays it, there are some beautiful Mm -hmm. scenes. There is such a beautiful scene where he takes her to the hospital um, because her biological father has rejected her and he takes her to the hospital to show her what it looks like when the day that babies are born. And he was like, and this is what I rejoiced over you when you were born. And my husband and I were like bawling, you know, both of us. I look over at him. He's got tears coming down. And it is just some Mm. of the most beautiful Mm. images um, of just family. And um, this little girl's a genius. And um, it's just really, really endearing. Mm. So the movie is gifted. Um, It's really good to watch. So, yeah, that's my one thing. What about you, Heather? Uh, My one thing is all of the small groups that are getting together. Um, to go through the, these series with the podcast, uh, who are having their own fabulous discussions about what's going on. I was together with uh, one of the young women in my community, Hannah, and I said, oh, Hannah, are you guys getting together to do the Narnia study? And she said, oh, yeah, I'm meeting with my women's group. Um, Friday mornings we get together, and because it's the Narnia series, we're going like full English tea on oh, Friday fine. and making scones. And they were just making such a celebration of it, and it was so playful what she what she was saying, but they're having very rich conversation. And I just thought, wow, that is the best part of this journey Mm -hmm. is to know that our conversation on this podcast is just a catalyst to spark other conversations for people to have amongst themselves and with their friends that go deeper. So that's my one thing this week, sister. I love that. Yeah, that's me very too. Beautiful. How about you? Um, my one thing for the week is a, a classic on prayer by Father Thomas Dubay, and it's a book called Fire Within, mm-hmm. and it's taken the, the deep contemplation of John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila. And it's a meaty read, but it's very good for people at all levels of prayer. And I, as I'm reading it, it's just enkindling a deeper uh, fire within me to receive uh, my beloved one. So I would highly recommend it if you haven't. It'd be a great Lenten journey as well. So Fire Within by Father Thomas Dubay. You can't you can't go wrong, Father Thomas Dubay. Uh, but this one especially, when it talks about the deep contemplative prayer, is really literally setting my heart on fire. So nice, <laughs> yeah, awesome. <laughs> well, thank you, dear friends, for joining us. And we have one more installation next week of our last part of the Chronicles of Narnia. So until then, we are praying for the the winter to thaw in your life, for the spring to be born and for you to meet Aslan in a very special way this week. So thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, would you please share it with a friend? You can leave us a rating, leave us a review on iTunes. That helps us get the message out to as many people as possible. If you would like the show notes emailed to you, you can go to ascensionpress.com forward slash abiding together. That's ascensionpress.com forward slash abiding together and enter your email address click the subscribe button and the show notes will be on their way to you every week you can also find the show notes on the ascension press website as well as each episode on the itunes podcast app you'll find everything there you can join our private facebook group and join our community and just get in on everything that's going on we love to hear from you send us an email give us a shout out we are happy to be on the journey with you and until next week we will be abiding together Thank you so much.